What's your impression of the master in the parable? How do you, you feel about him after hearing that gospel, the, the parable that Jesus tells this morning? Is he, is he the kind of guy that you respect, the kind of guy that you find interesting, intriguing? Maybe you'd like to, to get to know him just a little bit better over a, a cup of, of coffee. An interesting individual that you'd like to, to befriend. Or, or is he the kind of guy that kind of just rubbed you the wrong way? Kind of turns you off, maybe as if he is more focused on finances than anything else. That the bottom line is, is all that matters to him. That he's more concerned about profits than he is people. Well, since that individual in the parable represents God, I suppose we can cut right to the chase and be a little bit more direct and ask the same question of God. What is your view of God? What do you think of God? How would you describe God? I mean, think about it. When you pray to God, what's the image? What do you envision? Who is the face that you are praying to? As you consider all of the the promises that God gives to us in His Word, as you envision Him speaking those promises to you, what does God look like to you? How would you describe Him as you are relaying, as you're sharing your faith with someone else as you are witnessing? How do you describe who God is and what He means to you when you're talking about Him to other people? See, what you think of the Master matters. Why? Because what you think of the Master is going to determine your service to Him. Think about it. Consider the the boss that you currently have and any managers or bosses that you've had in past jobs throughout your life. And wouldn't you agree with me that that the, the job that you have performed, at least to some degree, has depended on the kind of boss or manager that you have. If you've had a boss that you think the world of, you put in your best work. And you don't bat an eye at going above and beyond, doing a little bit of extra work for an individual like that that you look up to and respect and appreciate. But if you don't have much time or patience for your boss or manager, if you don't have a lot of respect for them, then you're probably more than likely just going to do the bare minimum, whatever is required to keep that boss or manager off your back And quite frankly, not a whole lot more. What you think, what you make of the Master, matters. So what do you think of God? Do you ever find yourself resenting Him? Do you find yourself spiting God sometimes? And and if so, if, if that's the feeling you have toward God, is it, is it worth reflecting what is the source of that feeling toward God? If you spite or resent God and you envision Him to be this happy-go-lucky, twisted, find this twisted joy in, in punishing sin, why might that be? Could it be because you are well aware of your sin? Could it be that you are sometimes far too casual about your sin? And quite frankly, if you can turn it around and make the issue all about this this God and His longing and His desire to just punish sin, if you can make it about Him and, and take the target off you, 
then you might justify feeling so freely about committing that sin that you enjoy so much. If you can just shift the blame, if you can just transfer it and make God out to be the bad guy for wanting to punish sin instead of us committing it. Do you imagine God to be far off and distant? That he's disinterested in you personally? That he doesn't have time for you or care for you? Do you imagine him to, to be uh, an overbearing, that his expectations are far too high and can never, ever be met? Do you think that he just doesn't have time for you? What you make of the master matters. And if any of those descriptions are, are accurate, if, if that describes how you either currently or have in the past felt about God, I don't know how you got that perception, but all I can say is this, you've got the wrong guy. Because that is not at all, none of those are a description of God, uh, how he has revealed himself to us in his word. The God who longs to be known for grace and compassion hasn't revealed himself to us in, in any of those ways that were just described. And think about it as we consider the parable before us this morning. If that was how God truly was, why would he bother entrusting any of his own personal possessions to his servants? If that's how his servants felt about him. These are his belongings. No, if he's going to entrust his own belongings, what he owns and what he manages and what belongs to him, if he's going to entrust those to somebody, don't, don't we assume that, that he must think pretty highly of those individuals? That he must care for them? That he must, yes, even love them? We know that that is how God longs to be known. The God who longs to be known as the, the God of grace and forgiveness. The God who says, I am not basing my feelings toward you on your faithfulness toward me, but rather on my faithfulness toward you. That it is my commitment, my dedication to carry out your salvation. That's why I feel about you the way that I do. God does not determine his feelings about us on the basis of whether or not we faithfully manage all of the blessings he gives to us. God is faithful toward us because that's who God is. God is the one who brought us to faith in his grace, who maintains that faith and keeps us growing in that faith. That is the master in this parable. And that master is so much more. He is not just master, he is also the suffering servant. The description that Jesus shared in the parable of the sentence for that wicked, lazy servant, that description was not just Jesus' explanation, but it was also what Jesus experienced for you and me. That description that, that closed out to the parable in, in chapter 30 when he described, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is exactly what Jesus endured for you and me. Though his faithfulness was flawless, though he had the perfect record of obedience, faithful service in his life for us, yet he willingly endured being thrown into that darkness, the abyss being cut off from his Father for the wicked, lazy servant, for you and for me. That Master is also your suffering servant, your substitute 
your Savior. And knowing that makes all the difference in how we are to serve Him and how we long to serve Him as His faithful servants entrusted with His belongings. It's quite clear that two of the three servants knew the Master in that way. And we can draw that conclusion based on the faithful service that they rendered to Him. Whether it's the the bags of gold in the, the newer translation or what previously many of us know as the talents that were entrusted to Him, the point of any of those descriptions is that God has given to you and me far more than we could ever imagine or comprehend. And those two servants, they took what had been given to Him And they generated a 100% return on what God had given to them. Different amounts and yet the same percentage of a return. And you saw exactly how delighted the Master, how thrilled God was with the return. To both of them, He spoke the exact same response. He said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Not only was their reward that they would be entrusted with more, but they actually got to be a part of the source and the celebration of the master's happiness. He wanted to share it with his servants. He was thrilled and delighted at their faithful service. Gave them more to take care of and said, now come, let's celebrate this joy and my happiness together. A little different for the the third servant. He had a, a totally different attitude toward the master and it was reflected in how he managed what was given to him. We might say that the third servant actually managed what was given to him in a way not to lose it. And you maybe have heard that expression uh, applied to sporting events. If somebody says, whether it's a coach or an analyst or somebody watching the game says, well, that team was only playing not to lose. That expression isn't usually applied to the winning team. It's usually a team that ends up losing. And the whole point of that expression is the reason that they lost was they, rather than putting in the work to continue generating offense and scoring points to either take the lead or maintain the lead that they had, instead they became only focused on keeping the other team from catching up or scoring any points. And when that's the approach that a team takes, they usually end up losing. That's what the third servant did. He was playing to lose, and we see exactly how that resulted. Listen to the response of the master to that third servant. Verse 26, his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Notice that he doesn't take any excuses. The very thing that that third servant thinks is going to get him off the hook by pointing to the master's harshness or high expectations or unrealistic standards is the thing that convicts him. So the very defense that he offers to the master, well, the master turns around on him and says, well, then you have even less reason for just going and burying your talent or your bag of gold and even more reason to have put it to work if that's truly what you think of me. Now, it's clear to us in this parable which of these servants God would call us to be. Obviously, it's not the third servant. 
but rather the first two servants who, who rendered their faithful service because they knew the Master. What they made of the Master mattered. A lot of times, this application to this parable uh, takes the, the talents, or again, the bags of gold, and applies them in this sense, that God has given different gifts and abilities, or even sometimes talents, though that's not the actual literal intent of the original word there, but it has application to say we recognize God blesses us differently. He gifts us differently, entrusts us with different things, and gives us different gifts. Some of us here this morning uh, are inclined toward musical gifts. We can sing or play instruments. Others are amazing at coordinating and organizing things that make sense to, to others. Some are amazing with their hands. They can fix or, or build anything out of, of nothing. Some simply find joy and love serving others whether it's preparing or cleaning up, whatever it might be. And the whole point then is whatever gifts that God has given you, use them faithfully. And that certainly has application in this parable. But it's maybe not the only way to think of those bags of gold or the talents that God doles out to his servants. Perhaps another way would be to equate those talents, the bags of gold, with responsibilities. Because we all have responsibilities in our lives, and some of us, yes, have more, and some of us have less. But God is interested in making sure that we carry out whatever responsibilities we have through every area of life faithfully. So you have a, a job with all of the strength that God provides. Do the best at that job that you actually can. If God has blessed you with a home and, and a car and other possessions, you have a responsibility to manage and take care of those blessings from God. If you are blessed to be married, God says, love and serve your spouse sacrificially. If you are blessed to be single, God says, in your singleness, use that season of life as an opportunity to love and serve God and your fellow neighbor in the unique ways that you can then and there. If you have the privilege of parenting, then raise your children to know Jesus' love and to express that love through the privilege of serving in Christ's kingdom as they grow up. If you have neighbors, then care for your neighbors and meet their needs to the best of your ability. The list goes on and on, and then we have those responsibilities that all of us share. The poor, the hungry, those who are, are homeless, those who are on the receiving end of injustice. We all have a responsibility to come to their defense and to help them in whatever way that we can. The point is, in all of your responsibilities, carry them out faithfully. We don't pass them off to somebody else. We don't make excuses for not carrying out those responsibilities, and we don't carry them out half-heartedly because we know the Master. And what you make of the Master matters. The Master delighted to entrust to you those responsibilities and the gifts that you have to carry them out. And not only that, but He is thrilled in seeing your faithful service. And so, yes, it makes our hearts sing to be able to carry out anything that God would call pleasing in His sight. And to think of, of our whole lives as an act of worship and expression of gratitude to the Master for all that He has so faithfully given to us and done for us. And to realize that it makes Him happy. To find joy that that God has thought so much of you and me 
to privilege us with service in his kingdom. And to know that when we carry that service out faithfully, it brings him happiness. Doesn't that make you happy to know that your faithful service pleases God? So then, dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, go. Go and serve him faithfully. And in every possible way, as often as you can, put a smile on God's face with your faithful service until he returns. Amen.